0: Welcome to Left Foot. We invite fresh conversation on business development. Now, here's your host, Nicole Giantonio. Hello listeners, it's Nicole Giantonio, the founder of Left Foot. And I'm here to announce that our 12 audio-based business development challenges are now available. 12 practical, execution-oriented steps to predictable success. Part of the Left Foot GPS Growth Practice Solutions for business development. Go to leftfoot.com/gps for details. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Left Foot. Today's guest is responsible for her organization's legal and government relations departmental operations, including strategic planning, outside counsel relationships, tool implementation, and communications, ensuring departmental effectiveness and efficiency while effectively fulfilling the needs of the business. Clock board member and senior director of legal operations at Adobe Systems, Lisa Connie. Welcome
1: to Left Foot. Hi, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Let's jump right into our questions. You've been in-house at Adobe for a while now. You did practice at a firm before you went to Adobe personal strengths or habits have allowed you to transition
1: to your role in-house? So when I transitioned out of a law firm, I joined Adobe as a licensing lawyer, supporting our outbound revenue generating contracts. And that was my background when I was at a big law firm out here in California. And so I started here at Adobe in my classic vein of being a lawyer and supporting... Our contracts. And so that to me was a skill set that is a little bit divergent from where I have shifted to, which is into this focus of legal operations. And some of it came about very holistically, where within my role as a lawyer here at Adobe, we started to drive certain projects around standardization across our templates normalizing service level agreements, understanding what sort of programs we could put in place to better empower the lawyers as opposed to having to seek out many divergent internal approvals. So there was a handful of different projects that sort of kept cropping up. And I naturally gravitated to those projects because they were all efficiency projects. And so from a strength and capability perspective, I found that Having a sense of ownership, first and foremost, where I really like to be a subject matter expert and an owner of something, whatever that thing might be, as well as a keen understanding of what the goal is. I think those two certainly are critical personal strengths or habits that I had, as well as sort of a ruthless focus on efficiency, right? So when my boss would say, you know, hey, we've got 50 templates and I don't necessarily know why we need 50 I was the one that would always get into the weeds and understand, okay, why do we have 50? Who are they touching? Why are they touching those? Do we need them? Is there any way to consolidate? Can we automate? How can we make things better? How can we make things go faster? How can we make things scale with us in support of our company? So when I do think sort of outside of the scope of being a lawyer, which is when I first stepped here into Adobe and then shifted into more of a legal operations focus, these strengths really are around a true sense of ownership, a willingness to get in and create change. And that sort of ruthless focus on things that are going to make life better for my peers, for myself, for the company and our customers.
0: Great response being thorough about which of your strengths were recognized in that role and and how that transition took place. You work, of course, with possibly some of the people you worked with. When you were both practicing the advice part of the legal work, how have the other lawyers, how have they adopted more process, more of a drive towards efficiency? What is the feedback you're getting from those former legal advice giving coworkers, as well as the group of lawyers you're working with as a whole?
1: I remember one conversation with a colleague in particular. It was when I first stepped into the legal operations role at Adobe. So it was a newly created role under our general counsel. This was almost 10 years ago. And I took on the job. Job. And one of my colleagues, he called me up and he wanted to meet with me. And he's, he was an attorney doing all of our trademark work. And he just very bluntly said, thank you. And I just sort of chuckled at the time because in those early days of legal ops, I wasn't necessarily cognizant of the full ramifications of me stepping into this role. But he was very well aware of it because all of a sudden you had a point of contact, a named individual who was responsible for the stuff that typically gets in the way of other lawyers doing their job. When people ask me about what legal operations means, the easiest way I can summarize it is to say that it is typically those things that don't naturally fall on the shoulders of a lawyer, meaning the counseling, the transactions, the litigation, the stuff that you classically think, everything else is going to come my way. So if it is not squarely on the shoulders of a lawyer, if it's tools, if it's designing pro bono programs, if it's figuring out what training needs to happen, if it's understanding communication methods, strategic planning, financial planning, all of the things you teed up in the beginning, all of those things that go into efficiently and effectively running a legal department come my way and they come to me and my team. and so. I started to see that a lot of my peers around the table, when from a lawyer's perspective, were exceptionally thankful that they could now put their focus and their expertise on being lawyers as opposed to getting dragged into some of these other efficiency projects along the way. They loved the fact that there was somebody who wanted to focus in that area and knew how to leverage them as experts when and if needed, as opposed to my peer lawyers being the ones that needed to actually drive the programs forward. So there was a lot of gratitude, which was kind of a cool thing that I didn't expect.
0: It's interesting, Lisa, when I talk to individuals in the in-house legal space, here and there, I'm still running into major organizations that do not have legal operations or legal purchasing. You might have one or the other. You might have both. You might have an influencer in a role that has a different title, but that you've incorporated some of this. And it's interesting to hear the response. We like to handle things in-house. There's a different tone of an organization that hasn't gone down that road yet. That said, when you first started to stretch out in your role and today even more so, as you're meeting the business needs of Adobe, are there things that you're looking for as you go out and partner with outside organizations? Of course, I know you're controlling costs in-house, but as you have that opportunity, what are those things that you look for in a partner?
1: First and foremost, at Adobe, we don't let our procurement organization drive our relationships with outside counsel. I like to be very loud and proud about the fact that, to me, outside counsel are not vendors. They actually are partnerships and relationships that need to be groomed and built and a foundation of trust established, et cetera. And so to me, your question is squarely in my wheelhouse of not only responsibility, but also satisfaction, if that makes sense, because I really am trying to push the envelope on creating better, tighter, stronger, more lasting, higher quality relationships with key law firms. And that approach to me is very different than when you think about Sort of more of the commoditized legal managed service providers. To me, those aren't relationships that I think of in the same strategic lens as I do my relationships with my law firms. You're looking at law firms, you're looking at possibly
0: a panel or some select law firms to deal with specific issues.
1: In those relationships,
0: is it mostly firms you've heard have a good reputation through other people that you know? Is it firms that have approached you? What would be an example of how a firm was able? able to position themselves for specific work within your organization?
1: Great question. So it's interesting because I've learned a lot over the last number of years in this space. When we did an RFP back in, I think, 2015, we invited a handful of our usual suspects, meaning they were law firms that had done business with Adobe beforehand. We had two firms that had never done any work for us, but that through one person or another on our legal management team, we thought it might be interesting to hear what the firms had to offer. And then, we had another firm that historically had done some work for Adobe, but it hadn't been much in kind of the near term. But in addition to that, there was a strong relationship between one of the partners at the firm and one of our legal management team members. And what I learned through that process is that companies first need to figure out their appetite for change. We brought in those two firms I mentioned that had no contact with Adobe prior to our RFP. And it was really unfortunate because we asked the firms to go through our RFP process, which is an exceptionally tiring and draining process and requires a whole lot of resources on both sides, right? And so we asked these firms to invest in that process. And at the end of the day, I realized that my management team did not have the appropriate appetite for change, and they would not be willing to take a leap of faith with a firm into a preferred panel environment. And part of that was the fact that Adobe was really converging on the preferred panel. And so we ended up only selecting two firms from a US perspective. And so when you only say two, it's really hard to stomach the amount of change and influence that has to happen when you're trying to introduce somebody that you don't know. I mean, you know something about, but you just don't have the the relationship with. And so that was a key learning for me. And it, it really kind of tees up the bigger question, especially when I think of the audience, which is when you think from the outside in, how do key individuals go about creating those relationships initially so that you're not starting from that position of we've never done business with you, but yet we want to be on your preferred panel? And so much of it comes back to the concept of sort of just thinking differently, right? And one of the examples I usually use in that space is to say, and I'm in a great position to do this, I turn around to various law firms when somebody from a law firm hits me up and they're like, hey, how do we get our foot in the door with Adobe? I can very promptly turn right back to them and say, why don't you tell me what products of Adobe you use from a firm perspective, right? Because I want to see my law firms investing in Adobe as a customer just as much as I want to see them participating with me as a service provider. And so because of my technology space and our product space, we have an easy kind of use case, but a lot of times folks on the law firm side don't even think about that angle. And it's a really interesting way to get a foot in the door because if I had a firm come to me and say, we are the largest proponents of using Adobe Sign, we love the technology, we love the change that it's been able to bring to our firm and to our clients, right? If I had a firm come say that to me, I guarantee you we were going to be sitting down and having a lengthy conversation.
0: That is only the second time in 105 interviews, 110 recorded, that that has come up. And it's an important factor because it makes sense. And especially in that particular example, when it's a product that a law firm could be using and it could be effectively helping them be more efficient in the way that they're doing business. When you look at the current relationships you have, whether that be with law firms, with technology vendors that support your organization, you know what are the tactical things that the organizations that you really see as partners, what are the tactical things that they're doing?
1: First and foremost, they're learning our business model. They're understanding culturally what is important to us, how we go about selling, what we're selling, understanding our products. I mean, it's so easy for somebody to hear the name Adobe and maybe the first thing that comes to mind is Acrobat. Maybe it's Photoshop, but the fact is we have hundreds and hundreds of other products. We have clouds, we have the document cloud, we have the digital experience cloud. And so it's just if a firm or a vendor a technology provider just thinks of Adobe as Acrobat, they're missing the boat. And so having a firm or a vendor spend enough time to, to actually try and understand me as a customer. And to understand what my pain points might be, what challenges am I actually trying to solve, why would I want to leverage that firm or vendor is absolutely foundational. And you don't always get it. I mean, sometimes I'll get approached by technology vendors that, <laughs> this kills me, they say, hey, I'd love to spend 15 minutes with you so I can better understand what's going on. I just, I mean, I see those emails and I pause and I, I'm like, I, I don't even, I don't have 15 minutes to explain to you what I do, right? And it's like, so who in your network can you tap into and leverage the power of social media and other network connectivity to get some insight into maybe it's the legal operations space? Because if somebody understands that I'm the lead for legal operations at Adobe, I would really love it if they actually understood what that meant. And so figuring out, I mean, Clock is a great resource, right? Being able to go to the corporate legal operations consortium website side and understand sort of our view of what we think legal operations is so that the vendor isn't sitting there thinking, okay, now why am I talking to you? And the the flip side is from a law firm perspective, I really, really, really wish more firms were engaging with folks like myself because my general counsel, who I report directly to, is not the person that you are going to find the pathway into our company, right? You're usually going to find it through your legal operations leader. They're the ones who are usually overseeing these programs. They are the ones that often will have oversight into the financial aspects of the department, which includes outside counsel or even your technology vendors. And so thinking differently in that capacity of, hey, how do I figure out who that legal ops person is? How do I get to know them, et cetera, is a much better path to take in some instances than just going to the general counsel.
0: I go to events. I go to young women lawyers events. Not that I'm a young woman lawyer because I'm not, but I get invited to go to these events. You still hear, I tried to take this person to lunch. I took my contemporary to lunch. I took, you know, this person out. I, you know, I engaged this person. I called them or I sent them our newsletter. It's so unusual outside of clock, outside of maybe a legal purchasing or an event that one of the LPO vendors is putting on or Thompson Reuters or one of those organizations. It's very unusual still to hear a lawyer say that they approach, to your point, the operations professional. Do you think attorney Points coming? Do you feel like it's come? It just hasn't gotten as much mainstream with actual practicing attorneys. Are we on a tipping
1: point? I do believe we are. And in part because it needs to come from all directions, right? It needs to be the general counsel who, when they get hit up by a law firm partner, says, Hey, you're really barking up the wrong tree. Go talk to Lisa. And I am very fortunate to have a general counsel who understands legal operations as an exceptionally big supporter of it and would do that exact thing is to point them to me.
0: And now, a word from our sponsor, Nicole here, and a shout out and thank you for tuning in to the Left Foot Podcast. Are you looking to energize your business development efforts? Our 12 Left Foot Business Development Challenges will energize your efforts in three areas business development grit, tactical habits that lead to business development success, including networking, nailing your niche. How to Focus and Develop an Expert Reputation, Commercial savoir Faire, a discussion on business and the revenue side of law. At Leftfoot, we believe 20% of people are natural at business development, 10% say no to business development, and 70% are neutral and can adopt the skills necessary when presented in an organized, methodical way. To learn more and be challenged, go to the GPS page at leftfoot.com. You mentioned technology. It came up in that last response and is part of this discussion because there's so much of it, not just in one area, not artificial intelligence, not e-discovery, but the whole combination. And then of course, the integration of it. What are you seeing that is coming into play in the in-house legal departments that you feel is, from a technology perspective,
1: innovative? I mean, the easiest answer is certainly around AI and machine learning. And it's still early. I mean, the companies that are out there doing it from a pure legal perspective, yes, there's been traction when you think of MA diligence, right? There's little pockets of traction there. There are some companies that are doing some really, really cool things. And it's not, nobody is approaching this in the context of we're going to you know, implement technology that's going to reduce headcount by X percentage or the number of lawyers by Y percentage, right? I mean, that's not what you're at. But it really is trying to understand if you can right-size the work so that you are focusing the skills and the benefits of your legal minds where they should be. And it's almost similar to bringing on a legal ops role, right? You don't want your lawyers doing things that are operational. Similarly, you want your lawyers focusing on the complex work that at their level and with their training and backgrounds, they should be focusing on
0: our lawyers are tuning in. They want to understand how to position their offering. In most cases, coming and saying, this is the business problem we can help you solve. This is the business improvement we can help you make and presenting it in that fashion. As you're working with your teams, as you're hearing and hearing from the other clock members, what are those things that people are positioning that are resonating quickly, are easy yeses from your perspective? You can't really present e discovery as a differentiator at this point, right? You hardly can present AI as that. You might be able to present the interaction of the two, well-integrated and really well-thought-out processes around it. But that's no longer that case. So, I mean, what is getting some good attention today? What is the kind of thing that done right and presented right would likely have some legs in the next year or so?
1: Some of it is changing the thought process. And I try and do it in this way. I try and encourage my law firm folks, whether the relationship partner, the client services person, I really try and get them to understand that, yes, Adobe is a corporation. Yes, we have an in-house team. But to break that concept into the notion that my in-house legal department means I am no different than a smaller, medium-sized law firm. I have over 200 individuals in my department. I have a combination of lawyers and other legal professionals everything from you know forensic investigators to admins to lawyers, to paralegals, and some of the other classic typical things you would find. But then you start adding the program managers, the project managers, the business system analysts, right? We have a quote-unquote IT function within legal, which mostly is within my operations team. You've got all of the same sort of building blocks that law firms have. And getting firms to understand that I'm no different, for some reason, people just sort of look at me funny when I say it. And where I go with that, like I went to one of my preferred firms and I said, how long have you guys been in business? business as a law firm. And they said 107 years. As a law firm, you have gotten extremely adept in 107 years. Adobe's been around for 35. So you can imagine where I am on the maturity scale as a small law firm, as opposed to one of my preferred partners who's been around for 107 years. So I very frankly came to them and said, you've got to understand that some of the things that firms do really, really well... In-house teams don't do well. And how can you help me solve those internal pain points? And please do it when you start thinking about me as a peer as a similarly situated organization in this sort of differentiated positioning, right? Because if it's just, you're my special snowflake client that I need to kind of swoop in and and do something for, that's certainly not the relationship I want. I want my firms to understand that, guess what? Adobe Legal Department provides legal counseling services, strategic all the way down to extremely tactical, to a set of clients guess what the law firms are doing they're providing legal services through counseling etc strategic all the way down to tactical to their client base right so when you start operating off of the basis of similarity as opposed to difference it makes things so much easier so knowledge management was one of those areas where you know again i went to the law firm and i was like externally we don't necessarily do it very well internally as somebody who's been at a large law firm i feel like this is one of those areas that a lot of law firms do things pretty darn well they've got Got document management systems. They have very robust versioning control. Hopefully they continue it into sort of the, you know, less typical information and that firms need to share across different attorneys and different practice groups as well, from training materials all the way through, right? But I just feel that law firms have spent more time figuring it out because, yes, it is a more contained environment than within a corporation. So great. Help me understand. Maybe you come in and spend some time with my legal team understanding what our structure is, how we use SharePoint, how we share documents, what we're doing from a naming convention process spend a little bit of time understanding me as the client and as a quote unquote peer so that you might then be able to say, hey, we've got a knowledge management expert that can sit with you and give you some best practices on what might make things easier for your department. I would
0: be amazed if there is a law firm partner listening who has thought to go out and position unless, of course, it's a law firm that is selling their other services, not focused on selling advice. I'd be surprised if there's one that has gone out and and taken that approach. It also brings me to a point success based fees and different ways of creating agreements. Is that really a factor for you? When you were beginning to respond, I was thinking you were saying, I want the law firm to understand that we are more similar than different. You've got budgets, you've got a financial number that you need to manage too. And that involves creativity on how you're managing the volume of work that's there. If you could talk about, First, the value point and how important that is to whether it's value in the actual outcome versus the cost. And then, of course, talk about your perspective on budgeting.
1: Sure. From a value perspective, it is critically important. And I'm doing everything I can to try and change the conversations that certainly happen between myself and my preferred firms. I met with one of my firms just today. We have a call every other week. And one of the issues that came up today was... So let me start off by saying we have a very unique relationship from a fee structure with this law firm because we went to them when we put them on the panel and And they knew going into it that we were huge proponents of having alternative fee arrangements in place. But we basically said, I want one number and I want it for the year. All in. And actually, the firm jumped before I was ready. And all of a sudden, I found myself having to do a bit more socialization within my own team. And I was like, holy crap, they're ready to do this. And we're not. But but luckily, we've gotten much closer. We're not quite at an annual, just once and done sort of a situation because there still is this sensitivity of making sure nobody's taking advantage of the queasiness on both sides when you deal with a fixed fee. But to have this notion of a, a sort of all-you-can-eat fee for a year is huge. And so, what was happening in the conversation this morning was my law firm had to kind of get you know a little bit sheepish, and they because I see a spreadsheet that they send that shows me, but you know where the money is being spent in different areas. And unfortunately, the firms are still entrenched in production numbers, right? And what was happening was the firm had not quite gotten all of the billing in in time for March, and so the last time we had a call two weeks ago, my understanding of where we were for the month of March was very, very different than what just happened. And granted, I'm on a fixed fee, so it's not like I had to pay anything different, but it kind of goes to that comfort level between both sides on, is our annual fixed fee actually working? And it just brought up a number of key issues, but one was this concept of value. Because I said, as a lawyer who's been in a large law firm, back in my day, we didn't have to submit our bills until the end of the month. And anybody who's a lawyer on this call listening knows how, wild inefficient that is and how much time you actually lose. And so when I heard that my firm had not submitted the time and I'm like, and it's a fixed fee, I sat back. I'm like, you guys, you have to understand that this basically means that your production numbers mean nothing anymore, right? Because I don't have any faith that you have provided me with value. This is just purely a matter of people making stuff up at the end of the month at this point. Do they like hearing that? No. But were they glad to hear it? To some extent, because then I followed it up with a statement that said, and now... Now, I want to know who the individuals are on the Adobe Count that are not submitting their time promptly. Public shaming. Guess what? Let me be the one that says, as the client, I want this information from you as my law firm. And I had my director of client services on the call, in addition to you know the relationship manager and everybody. And there was that moment of silence, and then I got a thank you, right? Because now it's not them just trying to beat the internal lawyers up with a big bat. It's saying, no, no, no. This is a real issue for the client. And I have told them previously. I'm said, you know what? I'm not going to do it one bite at the apple kind of a concept. But if I start seeing the same names as repeat offenders, I'm going to ask to have them removed off the account. I don't want people that aren't being respectful of this relationship. And it all does come back to value because if I had my way, we wouldn't be doing billable hours and focusing on production numbers and all of that stuff. We'd be talking about the complexity of the matter. We would be talking about what the return on is on that transaction or that matter for my company. What kind of impact is this going to have on our business? Those are the conversations I want to have with my firms. And to be very transparent and very aligned, And the problem is, most of the folks on the law firm side feel like they shouldn't be asking questions that it's almost as if they are expected to just know what to do or that they know what their client wants. And I'm saying as a client, my god, please ask me questions because I want to make sure that we're not overshooting each other or that you are going down a path that we didn't want or that you're trying to create a memo when I'm said no, I just need three bullet points, right? And so to be able to have those conversations at all levels, whether it's somebody junior to the account or our relationship partner, right? I really really wish We could get more people, more lawyers comfortable with asking questions of their clients to understand the expectations, everybody is going to come out more satisfied because then either somebody's not spinning their wheels, going down a path, or you know you're not sitting back at the end of the day saying, "Well, I'm not going to pay this bill because that's not what I wanted you to do." In that
0: explanation, which I absolutely understand and have definitely witnessed, a group of people sitting in a room trying to guess what the client was intending. Not only will they likely not get it correct because they don't know and they are guessing, but also they're using all this resource time to try to guess what the client client. was actually expecting, which to me does not make sense. But this brings up a point that when the initial requests were coming out for more data around breaking down matters, time spent, project planning, decisions being made, who was involved, really looking at how hours were being allocated, looking at outcomes on matters of similar complexity around a similar type of item and really saying, is it worth our time or should we just settle if it's something significant or should we move on? Those requests for the data around that, typically we're coming from the in-house clients trying to look at billing and see if it's somewhat accurate, right? And now we're hearing that the law firms have a much greater need for that data because they're having to provide all alternative fee arrangements they're having to provide fixed fee arrangements and they need access to that data to be able to establish you know a fixed fee or a financial arrangement that they know will cover their costs and provide enough profit for their organization to continue. We've seen this shift, which I think to your explanation was driven by in-house and is now almost as equally driven by those firms that know they have to get on board with these alternative fee arrangements.
1: I do believe that some of it started with a client saying, I want, I want, I want, I want. And it's legitimate. Think about it. I am one client. I might have, we implemented our e-billing solution back in 2009. So I have a whole lot of data within the system about me. But my firms have thousands of clients. And so they have so much more information, robust data that they have been sitting on idly for way, way, way too long. And thank God they're starting to hire quantitative analysts and different role-based individuals within the organizations at the law firms to start to understand not only what that data tells them about the health of their clients, but how it can be used predictively to build better budgets. There's countless times where I'm looking at my law firm saying, guys, go look at your data and figure it out because I'm willing to be completely reasonable here. But I only know what I know. I don't know what you know. And so the fact that firms are actually starting to put some focus there and rigor there is fantastic. I will say I have an expectation of my preferred firms. We have a quarterly dashboard that they, metrics dashboard that they have to present and it tracks to the end of our fiscal quarters. And I remember the first time I asked for it a couple of years back, And the CFO was on the phone and he said, oh yeah, I can get this to you within two days following the close of your calendar or your fiscal quarter. And I just paused him. I said, you're really missing the mark here. This is not about how fast you can turn the data back to me. This is a tool that the entire team who support Adobe from X, Y, and Z law firm should be using to look at the health of our relationship. You shouldn't have to have me sit back because here's what happened one year in a quarterly business review we did with one of our law firms. We had mined all of the data on our side from our electronic billing tool and prepared a presentation and they flew with partners in from across the globe and all that good stuff and it was wonderful. Right up until the point that we called out a matter that had, I think it was, and I apologize, I'm gonna make up the details here, but they were close. It was something like it had, 16 or 18 different timekeepers assigned to one matter. And that on its face is not shocking, except for the fact that the matter was only about $30,000. And we sat back and went, why do you have 18 unique individuals billing to this colossally small of a matter? And the firm, they had no idea that we were actually looking at information like that, let alone calling it out in a conversation with them. Not comfortable for them, certainly not comfortable for us, but a boy, did it send a message. And so firms absolutely should be looking at the information to assess the health. Are you assigning too many partners to something? Or are they strategic things that really the partners can do quicker? Are you balancing the appropriate you know, number of diverse lawyers on our teams? Are you looking at the mix of timekeepers, right? There's so many different things that are not just focused on the billable that speak to the overall health of our relationship. When you're
0: presenting data like that, it's not just to compile the data present the data. It's actually to review it to your point, see the health, but also look for trends, look for things that the firm or the partner can do to actually say, wow, you know, these two pieces of information present an opportunity. They present an opportunity where we can save resources or where we might suggest that there's, it's time to invest in a particular additional technology. There's so much opportunity. And I think in so many cases you are getting the data but without that analysis. Terrific interview. So enjoyed the conversation. Any last points you'd like to share with our listeners before we say goodbye?
1: I think the big thing is to really get folks understanding that Building a relationship requires both sides, right? You've got to have a client that wants to do things differently. And I need a law firm that wants to do things differently or a technology vendor. Just to know that it's not always about the big ticket items. A lot of times the value comes from the little small incremental things that one side thinks about or maybe just mentions and then the other side picks up and runs with. And the, the one of the easiest and perfect examples I can give is I found out that one of my preferred firms curated content across the web about the times when Adobe was in the news. And they did this as a little newsletter that they then sent to their own internal lawyers that supported the Adobe team. And when I found out about it, I just kind of scratched my head and looked at them and said, well, did you ever think it might be interesting if you shared that newsletter with me? Right. I mean, and so here's a situation where and now I send it around to our entire leadership team across the organization so that they can see, you know, where Adobe's been in the headlines. And, you know, a lot of times it's because I don't have time to curate that kind of content myself, nor do I have support within my, you know, the big Adobe organization from a marketing perspective to have somebody curating that content for the legal team. Right. But the fact that my firm was already doing it and it never crossed anybody's mind that it might be something valuable for me as a client and there's no cost. They've already created this. All it is is one person adding me to the distribution list, and then I proliferate it within my organization. There's times like that, that if people started sharing ideas on both sides, and this is, again, the beauty of things like this podcast, which I can't thank you enough for, having this sort of a platform to get people to start sharing information and talking about how they're doing things differently it starts to proliferate. And now hopefully somebody on this podcast is going to listen to that and say, you know what, what a great idea. And I'm going to go talk to X, Y, and Z person within the firm and make sure that if we've got something like this, that we are giving that value back to our clients. So I hope that there's been something here that everybody can essentially take one little thing away from, one nugget based on this podcast and try and implement it in their relationships.
0: Terrific. We've talked a lot about collaboration on our program, collaboration between in-house departments and law firms and legal service providers. That point and that example is a terrific one. I am sure there are many opportunities to take basically something that's being done today and use that as a resource for clients. Lisa, thank you. It's been a pleasure having you as a guest on Left Foot.
1: Thank you so very much. It's been a pleasure as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of Left Foot. For information on our podcast, our 12 session business development challenge, and our online business development coursework, visit leftfoot.com. It takes focus and thought to lead with the left foot. Until next time.